0: Good morning everybody. Welcome to Cedar Valley Church. Hey, if you're hanging out in the lobby, I'm going to invite you in. If you're at home joining us online, I'm going to invite you back from the kitchen. Your coffee can wait. We're going to get the service started here. My name is Grant, one of the pastors here at Cedar Valley Church.
1: And I'm Amanda and we're just so happy that you're here Um, if this is one of your first times here we welcome you Um, and if you're watching online we'd like to get to know you better too so you can drop us a note at hello at cedarvalley.ca and if you're new here too here on campus you can um, meet up with somebody with a lanyard in the lobby and we can get to know you a little bit better
0: Totally, and uh, one of the best ways for all of you to stay informed uh, of some of the things going on, some announcements, it's uh, right now a little bit in the slow season, but we are on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, we have a YouTube channel. There's a kid's blog on there with weekly stuff for kids. devotional posts, updates, the weekly email newsletter we send out too at the end of each week on Fridays. It's just a good compilation of what our partner organizations are up to, ways to get involved, uh, stuff coming up here for Cedar Valley Church. You can sign up for that email newsletter at cedarvalley.ca.
1: Yes, and at cedarvalley.ca, you'll also find ways that you can give financially um, to our church here and also to the world uh, ministries at Cedar Valley um, supports. Um, we've been so blessed by our online and in-person um, community, and we want to keep that going. We want to reach more people. We want to keep on teaching and bringing the gospel to our community here in Mission.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that support. It's, we've been able to thrive in a season that sh- honestly should have been, and it hasn't been easy, but it should have been way harder. But just the collective support of a community like this, like a church community, has been able to help connect with and reach people and keep ministries like this going, connecting for all ages and demographics. It's been awesome. Uh, just an update or a reminder to Uh, We have our annual general meeting planned. Now it's scheduled for March 13th, and that's a Sunday. We're going to be doing it Sunday morning, and this is going to be a great morning of worship, prayer, sharing stories about the way God has been at work here in our church, how you can be involved, what we're looking forward to, and what the next steps we're going to be taking as a church into this new season, new vision, new mission, uh, diving into our core values as a church is going to be about, so make sure you're there for that. If you're joining online, uh, we're going to work to have some components online, but if If you're able to be here in person that would be the best push is to do that if you can be here.
1: I love that idea of having it as a Sunday service. That's awesome. Um, Okay we're gonna get this service started here now. Uh, We're gonna be led in a time of worship, um, singing. There will be lyrics here on the screen so we invite you to stand or however you feel comfortable to join us doing that.
0: Yeah, and after that, we've got a video lesson just for the kids, Uh, and if you're joining us online, be sure to check out uh, more materials at cedarvalley.ca slash kids. Uh, We have a YouTube page with full feature kids videos. This morning we do not have a service for kids downstairs. We are still looking to build up our kids teaching team, so see me if you'd like to be part of that. It's a really important core thing we want to be doing here as a church, but kids, there is there's going to be the video here you'll get to enjoy as well, and there is some materials at the back Uh, just on the back wall you'll see some color books, some activity pages that are relevant to the lesson that's happening this morning.
1: All right. Um, and after that, we're going to have a message with Pastor Grant. Yeah, that's me. Continuing <laughs> in our series in Galatians. Jesus plus
0: nothing. Totally, and we're just going to hand over to the worship team in just a moment here, but before that, uh, if you're joining us online, head over to the comment section. Here in person, turn to a neighbor. Uh, One of the things we're talking about this morning is some of the amazing work and kind of charity relief organizations, stuff like that, that uh, followers of Jesus have mobilized themselves to do locally, internationally, globally, but just Spend a moment, if you're involved in a charity or you support a charity organization, something like that, share with a neighbor one of the ones that you love. Uh, Do you have an organization you like, Amanda?
1: Well, right away, the things I thought about were uh, Hope Central here in Mission. Uh, Once a month, our church is involved with um, every. Like the first Thursday of every month, our church is involved in helping out there. And it's it's really so important to be part of that. I love that that's part of our community. And then I also thought of um, Seeds of Hope, which started here, right here at Cedar Valley with Susan and John.
0: Yeah, yeah that's actually a big one that comes to my mind, Seeds of Hope too. Yeah. Fantastic. Share with your neighbors. If you're online, throw in the comments some amazing organizations that you support, that you love, that you just want to give a little bit of airtime to. Other than that, we're in for a great morning. Okay,
1: thank you.
2: I found over the last couple years um, during during our the season in our in our community and culturally everything with the pandemic is just that that break in the team and then reestablishing uh, something that was kind of taken taken from us. And gathering us as people is something that we almost have to relearn. And um, I've noticed that, especially over the last couple months, this Deep desire to be with people has, has continued to grow, and and I just uh, if you guys are feeling that uh, that that need or that desire to be with people again, uh, just find find ways to connect with somebody here in church or a friend, and find ways to do it. And however that makes you, whatever makes you comfortable, but. It's so important that we don't neglect like that. Uh, the loneliness that inflicts so many right now, it's, um, it's really tragic. And I, and I think we can overcome that with, with the help of one another. And, and, and I don't think there's any other better purpose for our church than to be in community with one another. And what an opportunity to share Jesus with one another as well. So and, and this morning through music, just please join us in singing as you as you as you as you want to. And if you want to stand, please stand with us. But um, just super thankful for you to be here. Those of you online as well, sing on the rooms. All right. you Continue to be faithful to this church and to our community. Amen.
3: He will win And I'm not backing down from any giant a victory for the battle belongs to you Lord You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good Turn it for good, turn it for good victory, I'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory, I'm gonna see a victory for the battle.
2: You know our battles. You know the things that we're fighting against, the things that are so burdened, just weighing heavy on us. It seems so heavy sometimes. God, I know that there's sorrow and loss, and there's also celebration seeing you amongst all of that. I pray that we just look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We come to you first, Jesus, you plus nothing. We come before you and kneel before you in your greatness. We know that you care for us, that you love us, each one of us individually, and we want to bring our best to you. May this morning be a beautiful sound to you, something that is a love letter to you, something that we just want to offer, just a small piece of how much we love you in return. And we pray this in your precious name, Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for singing with us this morning. Pass it off to Pastor Grant.
0: All right, just before we go any further, we are going to have a video for the kids here. So kids, super exciting. This is just continuing on in the curriculum that we've been teaching downstairs Uh, This is the so-and-so show, it's just a teaser. Um, You can get the full feature video for it on our YouTube page or on our website, cedarvalley.ca. And kids, if you're hanging out here for the service, it's gonna be fun, I'm not that boring. It's all right, you can listen to me. But there's also activity sheets in the back that relate to the video we're about to watch, some coloring stuff, some different things. So grab that as you're free and check out the video.
4: How's it going, friend? Not too shabby. You got a Bible story for us today? I do. Our story today comes from the book of John, and it's one of the more famous stories of Jesus in the Bible. Can you guys help me out? Absolutely. Great, because it's time for another edition of Human Head Puppet Theater. When Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, a huge crowd followed him.
5: Oh, don't look now, Jesus, but I'd, I'd say we got company. And by company, I say we got one, two, 300, 400, 600, three hundred, four hundred, six hundred, three thousand, four thousand, carry the one. Yeah, yeah, it looks like we got over five thousand people who followed us. Easy.
4: Jesus said to Philip, where can we buy bread for these people to eat?
5: A <laughs> good one, Jesus. Where can we buy bread for all these people? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? Uh, oh, you you are serious. Uh, OK. Uh, I mean. <sighs> Jesus, listen, suppose, suppose we bought enough bread to, to give all of these people at least one bite, just one single bite of food. Just suppose we did that. That would take like half a year's pay. <laughs> I don't know who the budget guy is, but I'm sorry, I don't think we can swing that.
4: Jesus already knew what he was going to do before he asked Philip. He just wanted to see what Philip would say. It's hard sometimes to believe something can happen when it seems impossible. Now, another disciple, Andrew, he spoke up. Uh, 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 Jesus, it's me, Andrew. Uh, we
5: found this kid. Hey, Jesus. Uh, he has five barley loaves and two fish. <laughs> you can have them. Yeah. If it'll help. Oh, I, I
0: just don't know how far this will go with a crowd this size.
4: <laughs> Jesus then told the disciples to have the crowd sit down. When they did, Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks for it, and he started handing it out. And then he took the fish, gave thanks, and started handing it out as well. And that's when something amazing happened. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So just pass this around. Okay.
5: Bread? Oh. Mmm. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, thank you, thank you. Yes, would you like some? Well, some what? Oh, yes, don't mind if I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, fish? Here you go. Bread and fish. Do you have any more, Jesus? Wow, is this all the food I brought? Yeah. Do you want any more? Oh, no,
4: I'm full. Uh, He said he's full. Jesus had just done the impossible. He had taken a small amount of food that a young child was willing to share, gave thanks, and then somehow over 5,000 people had enough to eat. And check this, after that, Jesus told the disciples to gather up all the food that was left. There were 12 baskets of food left over. Wow. I got to pack my lunch more often. The end. Man, what an amazing story. It is. There was a kid that didn't have much, but he offered what he had. And Jesus was able to take that small gift and feed a giant crowd of people.
0: All right, so I always hate following that video. Like, that's so fun. I'd set myself up for some failure by putting that each time, but really fun, actually ties in a lot with what we're talking about this morning as well. We are in the book of Galatians, going through uh, the book of Galatians written by a man named Paul in the New Testament. We are in chapter two. We've been moving along, but first I have a story for you, another story. So when one of my favorite childhood memories is... uh, who ever went to the Vancouver indie races that they used to have? The indie kart racing, big hand, flew up in the back of the Booth chat. So picture like Formula One racing, but not as powerful or as fast. still super cool, uh, just not quite as advanced, um, but exciting racing. So Vancouver, they used to set up on the streets, like I think Granville Street was involved, stuff, they would like have these kart races go through it. And my dad would bring me down uh, for as many years as I can remember, at least, until they stopped doing it. And this was a really fun event. It was a full weekend ordeal. So Friday was like set up and test and tune day, pit crew day. You got to go around and see all the stuff get set up. Saturday was qualifications. Sunday was race day. And we would head down there. Usually we would take the SkyTrain down. We lived in Surrey. We'd SkyTrain down. But if the traffic wasn't too bad or I slept in, uh, we would drive. And uh, one day, I remember when I must have been about eight years old. I remember driving down, we took an off-ramp heading into Vancouver off the highway, and there's this boulevard there, and I remember seeing there's this homeless man who had a sign up and was just saying he was hungry and cold and didn't have, and he was homeless, he didn't have anything, so he had this sign. And uh, so it's funny, I missed that childhood innocence that I know I had my first response for that because even now when I'm telling the story and I know it's likely going through your mind to see somebody on a boulevard begging for money stuff like that and how many things go through your head that excuses that justify you know why that person's there or reasons why you know it's not best to just give this or to do that or whatever but my eight-year-old mind was super moved because one, for one of the first times I had processed this sense that this, this guy doesn't have a warm bed to go home to. This guy doesn't have a bunch of toys. He didn't get a McMuffin on the way down to the Indy race like I got this whole weekend. And it broke me a little bit. So I remember that evening, for the, after that first day, I got home and I told my mom like about this. And I really wanted to do something about it. So, you know, could I get some extra food for the next day? We'd pack lunches. And so, yeah, and I went up into my room, I got my piggy bank, I got a toonie, and my mom, you know, we had a banana and a sandwich, she made an extra sandwich for me, and so for those next two days, I, you know, answered the call that was on that man's cardboard sign request, and with a banana and a sandwich, bottle of water and a toonie. And that was one of my first memories of when I, I remember being moved by that kind of a moment. The innocence of a child resonates with something that is really instinctual for humanity, compassion, this sense of actually wanting to help people when they're in need, when they express need. And as we grow up in the world, sometimes we, uh, our minds and hearts kind of drift away from that. We start getting distracted in the noise of the world, and we make reasons and excuses to not do that. But regardless, either way, there's something human about us that when there's somebody in need... We are moved, and whether we make a response, whether it's to not do something or to do something about it, we see other people, we see other needs, we are moved and have something that happens within us. Author C.S. Lewis, uh, originally a proud atheist, uh, who felt confronted with a question exactly about this. Why do I have categories of what is good, what is bad? Why am I moved for other people? Because his worldview didn't give him answers that actually justified it well enough But he ended up turning to God when he began to find answers in the Bible. He studied through biblical literature and started seeing that all of his experiences had explanations for his worldview in the Bible, for what he was experiencing in this world. It was consistent, and that the Bible and God's expectations of us were consistent with how he felt and how we often feel. So we're reading through the book of Galatians, which is a letter written by a man named Paul to Christians in ancient Galatia. This would be modern-day Turkey, so kind of like Eastern Europe, think of kind of Western Middle East area, uh, with an overall goal of directing people towards Jesus as the single most important guide and authority in our lives. So we're listening to the words of Jesus, we're being driven back to there rather than all these other stuff that we add into our lives. So we're starting in, where we're here this morning, continuing on, chapter 2, starting at verse 9. So if you've got a Bible with you, turn to that, open up your app, we're going to read through that, it'll be on the screen. So James, Cephas, and John, Cephas is Peter, we'll talk about that in a sec, uh, those esteemed as pillars, or some translations apostles, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Some translations, the faithful and the unfaithful. Uh, Up to this point, what Paul had been doing is he had this experience where Jesus came into his life, transformed his life, changed everything about him. He was moved and wanted to bring that message to other people, but he also wanted to confirm that it was true, that it was real. So he went to these people, the apostles. The apostles are people who had directly interacted with and been taught by and uh, ordained and blessed by Jesus himself. So Paul went to these men, James, Peter, and John. Peter, Jesus gave... Simon, a name, Peter, uh, the rock, which is translated to Cephas. That's why I say Cephas and Peter are kind of the same person. But James, Peter, and John. um, And Paul was looking for affirmation for his work and and his faith. And he found it from the apostles. They respected and accepted everything that Paul had done, and they blessed him in the ministry. They sent him off to, some translations say, the faithful, the unfaithful. This translation, the Gentiles and the uncircumcised, talking about people who had... And knowledge of God before the Jewish people and people just in general because Jesus had no longer, there was no limitations to experiencing this news and this story from Jesus. So that's what had been happening up to now. And just before leaving the apostles, uh, James, Peter, and John, they added this to the apostle Paul. So verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. This is what we're going to focus in on this morning. It's super exciting. It's really cool. When I started writing this, I thought, okay, one verse feels limiting. And then I started writing, and I had like three and a half sermons worth of stuff. And this this is massive. It's so overwhelming because this idea isn't a unique or new statement to followers of Jesus or people who are followers of God, the Jewish people in the time. It's actually a prolific expectation throughout the biblical story. It's a commandment. It's a law given by God to his people throughout history. We're going to dive into just like a plethora of Bible verses here for a sec. Uh, not going to be up there, but just listen to these for a sec. A, a book in the Old Testament called Proverbs, uh, a book of wisdom literature that many people would have had either half memorized or they would have been just statements people would have known to live by, daily Proverbs, things for life, wisdom. But going through, you have in Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, their God, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. This is consistent throughout Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 17, 19, 21, 22, 28, 29, 31. It sounds like I'm reading the numbers off the TV show from Lost. Proverbs, it constantly, language like, do not oppress the poor, do not abuse the needy. If you have plenty, give graciously, give generously to people, and you will be blessed and wealthy for that action. Whoever is generous to the poor, whoever remembers the needy, whoever does not abuse or manipulate those in need, does so as if you're doing to God himself. This is all coming through there. The Old Testament, uh, this is what the people, Jesus was a Jewish man. He would have been brought up in this tradition as well. The apostles, the same thing. Deuteronomy, uh, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Uh, Jer- uh, Deuteronomy also says, like, make sure there are no poor among you because you should be attending to them. Jeremiah says, rescue from the hand of the oppressor, those who have been robbed and persecuted. Uh, in the New Testament, this whole thing, this same language, continues on, uh, Philippians 2:4: Instead of watching out for your own good, watch out for what is the good for other people. I'm spewing these off because I wanted to almost be this overwhelming sense. If you don't have it, that's fine, just listen along here. A classic one, really powerful in First John 3:16, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for brothers and sisters. It can look like this, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not show our love with just words, but also with our actions in truth. This is a constant communication. The words of Jesus himself directly, uh, Luke 14... Jesus is using an example for how we should actually be uh, interacting with people all around us, with our neighbors. He says, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not just invite your friends, your brothers, or sisters, or relatives, or the rich people you know that you're trying to impress, because they might invite you back and repay you well. In fact, what you should be doing is invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, the people who cannot pay you back. You will be blessed because you have no obligation for that, but you're actually pouring out and serving people who have a need for your charity, your blessing. More words just from Jesus. Matthew 25, verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And I was thirsty and he gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I needed clothes, you clothed me. And the people Jesus was talking to was saying, you, you never experienced these things. What are you talking about? And then he responds with this. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for all of these people who were in need, you also did for me this is like a cursory overview of biblical literature. If you literally Google poor in the Bible, you'll get an insane amount of verses that just come up. And it's not just description words saying there were poor people. It's actually actions of saying you need to mobilize and act and answer the call for people in need overwhelmingly. And throughout history, followers of Jesus have taken this truth in the Bible to heart. And although right now and Constantly throughout history, there's bad rap and bad politics in the news about church and Christianity. History shows the church as being synonymous with relief efforts, with support and care, and answering the call to the sick, the poor, the pressed, and the needy. Hospitals were a church creation, because before stuff like modern medicine, when it was all sterilized and studied well, people didn't want to deal with sick people. It was dirty work. You often got sick yourself. But the church mobilized together and saying, no, people need this kind of care. We're all created in the image of God. Uh, A perfect example was in the Spanish flu, there were quarantines. There were literally orders for people who were really sick. They would be put together. They were going to die. And the orders was, don't go to them because you'll get sick. You might die too. Just let them go. And the church said, no, these are people created in the image of God. They would put themselves in harm's way and get involved in that moment as well. Because it, it takes that kind of... Worldview understanding of people being made in the image of God to answer that. Not just historically, here's another list I just want to throw at you guys because it's so exciting when it's going through this research. Modern day, some of the biggest examples of global relief and world changing impact um, are all founded under biblical Christian principles. So, a few examples like this World Vision, you've seen the sponsorship ads on TV, you've heard them at concerts, likely. Uh, The mission statement of World Vision is an international partnership of Christians whose mission is to follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in working with the poor and oppressed to promote human transformation. Uh, Massive stats, like in one year, three and a half million people got access to clean water for the first time, distributed over 200,000 metric tons of food in 14 different countries. Another organization, Food for the Hungry, uh, another sort of sponsorship program, mission statement, we are motivated by Christ's love to walk with the most vulnerable until they thrive. Dug 42 wells last year, 288 clean latrines for communities, built nine classrooms, shipped 11 sea containers full of food, As well, Compassion International, another one. Our mission is to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. Samaritan's Purse, the shoeboxes that we do every year at Christmas. uh, Mission statement um, with the purpose of sharing God's love through His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, We will meet the needs of people who are victims of war, poverty, natural disasters, disease, and famine. Incredible things that happen more. Salvation Army, uh, Global Aid Network, Children's Hunger Fund, World Relief, Operation Blessing. This is just a small search of organizations mobilized by Christians. Mennonite Central Committee, Mennonite Disaster Service. We are connected with these. We throw the updates in the newsletter, our weekly email newsletter. Right now, you can get involved in the Fraser Valley flood cleanup and restoration efforts. Not just Mennonites though, Adventist Development and Relief Fund, Methodist Committee for Relief, Lutheran World Relief, Episcopal Relief and Development. There's, they're all acronyms too, which you'd never have a clue. Um, Central Baptist Release Relief Fund, what we talked about this morning, you might have Seeds of Hope, Light of the World, other organizations. It, it, the list goes on and on and on. This week, we're, uh, February 22nd on Tuesday is uh, Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Uh, So big organizations like International Justice Mission, Ally Global, We Thrive Foundation, local organization, all focused on delivering people from that. It is an overwhelming amount of truth that it's synonymous. Christianity, followers of Jesus, answer the call to those in need. So this call from the apostles to, to Paul and Barnabas saying, just remember the poor isn't unheard of. It's not this brand new thing. This is the kind of stuff that happens under a worldview Understanding that we have a Creator God who made all of this in all of this, the whole world, including us, but specifically made humanity uniquely in His image, worthy and valuable. You can't simply ignore people anymore who are right in front of you, you no matter what the circumstances. There's no helpful definition of who truly needs help. But I think what's really getting at here when you read through the Bible, when you see Jesus' example is talking about the widow, the poor, the orphan, the hungry, and God's instruction to make sure that there's no people who are left amongst you in a community is this definition that I've seen, and I really like it. This is an instruction to reach out to those who otherwise, based on the worldviews of the world, the secular world all around you, reach out to those who you would otherwise have no obligation to. Right? See, it takes a Christian understanding of this to actually bother answering the call, because look at this. So, new age worldviews, progressive worldviews, which borrow heavily from Eastern religions, like animism, reincarnation, karma, those kind of ideas, they might have good principles and actions that carry out, but the worldview doesn't actually convict you to have a heart that moves towards people. Karma states that bad things in this world are deserved and earned. Justice is just a matter of cosmic balance, and when you see the bad things happening, it's just working out. It's just something that's playing out. And in fact, actually interfering with that can interfere with a person's journey of healing and retribution that needs to take place. There's often stories of people when they travel to India, and they have a guide, and they see people begging on the streets, and they say, don't interfere. Karma needs to work itself out with them. The next life should be better. Reincarnation can actually imply that a person born into poverty has earned it from their actions in a previous life. Likely when this is over, it'll be better again, so why bother interfering? It's just a zero-sum game, that a system that doesn't actually require our interaction or God's miraculous interaction present. Secularism, the attempt to completely separate the idea or need of deism uh, God, theistic view in our worldview, uh, probably the leading philosophy in the Western world, North America and Europe, doesn't give any credible explanation or rationale as to why we need or should even bother supporting or caring for the poor or needy. There's theories that kind of throw out, but they don't have any, um, any weight behind it. When you actually go back to what would be one of the textbooks that fuel massive secular worldviews origin on the origin of species, has a tagline that's often not even included in most of our uh, studies when we reference it, Uh, but it's on the origin of species and the preservation of favored races in the struggle of life. It's this idea that stuff is just a mathematical equation working out. This idea of relative morality doesn't give anything to actually guide or reach out to people. And in fact, that is a truth now that's starting to become more commonplace. People are leaving that... Idea behind intros, but the, a new view that's actually started to come up is this idea that we're living in a simulation. Very influential thinkers will actually promote this thought that it's more likely, without admitting to intelligent design, it's possibly more likely that we're living in a simulation, but still there's no consequence or action. So, why would you reach somebody in a simulation who is in need when you have to put yourself in harm's way? If the entire idea of a secularistic thing is the evolution and superiority of races winning, If you're down in the dumps, you earned it, and we need to thrive better. So what it actually takes is a different worldview. The Bible offers us a different picture. As mentioned before, there's this intelligent and intentional creation involved in what we are experiencing. The Bible says that there's a divine reality at work in our daily lives. And and this is the gospel message that impacts us. God so lovingly involved himself in our world. He got involved, not just from creating and leaving it, this is the gospel message. And although he gave us free will, he gave us freedom to choose, and we regularly choose to ignore and even rebel against God, although, although that God got himself involved and intervened with no obligation, he sacrificially sent his son Jesus to defeat sin's grasp, sin's grasp on our lives. And he delivered us from this inevitable exclusion from God, from hell, uh, explaining eternal life. See, All of this is what's needed to actually explain the movement inside of us for wanting to care people and why it's actually justified and good. Um, And all of those people who have accepted that gift and been blessed by God cannot help but desire to pour out that same compassion throughout the world as they move, as they go. So when the apostles asked Paul to remember the poor, it wasn't just a reminder to slip in a couple bucks at the cashier when you buy groceries. It was actually the sense of, uh, in your travels, everything above. This is, remember what God has done for you, and now go and worship by doing the same thing for others constantly around you. This is an act of worship. It's not just a check off the box of serving the poor. So I love Paul's response to this. Uh, They asked, all they asked is that we should continue to remember the poor, and Paul says, the very thing I had been eager to do the whole time. See, this is also wasn't new for Paul. He had wanted this. Paul was a devout Jewish man, uh, part of the Pharisaic tradition, and he was very studied in the law. But he had this entire lifestyle with 613 laws plus many more traditions and instructions for life, like we just read throughout the Proverbs, all these ways of how to interact with and how to care for the poor. He had this massive complex system, this religious system, way of life, which was the common way of life for people in Jesus' day. And it had a high value of care and support for the poor, but it would often contradict and get in the way of uh, other stuff because suddenly there was times when you couldn't get yourself unclean by interacting with the poor. Suddenly you couldn't uh, operate or do certain actions on certain days of rest and Sabbath, and they would get com- complex and missed. So then this is where Jesus comes in, and he, what seems like he constantly was turning like tearing apart and deconstructing and breaking apart the law he was actually saying no that was good stuff but you missed the point you started worshiping the rules and you missed the people which is what God was trying to God gave everything to reach people not laws and rules and now we need to do the same thing and realize that those were guides they can't block us from reaching people We do this all the time. We often get distracted by semantics and rules and statements, and we've had a bad experience here, so we see somebody in need, but we say, that this isn't going to actually do that, or it's just a Band-Aid fix. a handful of weeks ago, me and a bunch of pastors locally around here met together uh, for a presentation from an organization looking to meet a need in our community, and the majority of the conversation just cyclically goes around, but this won't work well, this isn't an efficient way to do X, Y, Z, here's why we shouldn't bother, and it, not bad stuff to figure out, you know, what's the best way to do things, but how often do we just leave it there of let's not bother getting involved, we miss the call for actually reaching people. Paul is highlighting and expressing the freedom that we end up receiving in the gospel of Jesus that the gospel brings into our lives, even though these structures and rules that we may have in our lives, these guidelines might have good intentions. um, They might help condition our habits and minds. They aren't enough because if you actually want what Paul says there, this eagerness, what I have been eager to do all along, you need some real life change. You need to be reshaped by something as great as a sacrifice by God himself without obligation reached into our world and sacrificed everything in order for our hearts to actually be changed. So how do you move from just doing something to actually gaining this sense of eagerness in our lives? I I saw these three points that came out of this book called Smart Compassion by Wesley Furlong that I really like. I think they're good ways to just actually apply how we see things in the world, how we go from seeing Somebody with a cardboard sign seeing a need in the world when you see these plethora of organizations calling out for the needs in the world from just doing something, just checking off the box, actually having a heart that moves towards it. So the first one is to stop seeing a divide between people in our world as givers and receivers. Because at the end of the day, God is the giver and we are all receivers. That is a core concept that we need to get the sense of when we take this view, we begin to see God present in the world at all times. I have received in the same way that somebody else is going to receive the same thing God's given me to bless and pass along. In the Proverbs, the dialogue is constantly about if you've received plenty, pass it along. Give some more. Uh, words straight from Jesus saying too, if, if you've got a lot of clothing, give somebody else some of that clothing using examples of this. Um, it, again, words from Jesus, uh, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, you've done for me. This isn't just a hero complex. We need this sense to actually get rid of this Western mentality of I'm fixing the problem. We're just part of it. We're agents of God's love at work. So first point is stop seeing a divide between people as givers and receivers. The second one here is commit to loving people even in the face of betrayal. Jesus presents us with this command to love people and it's It seems like it's not a new command, but what is new, he says, to love people as I have loved you. And what's unique about Jesus' love is Jesus was betrayed over and over and over again, and that didn't disrupt his love for it. The amount of stories I hear about, the amount of times I even get um, some blocks in my life when I have a bad experience at this store, or I I tried to do something, and then the guy scammed me and ran away, and I'm like, I'm never helping anybody again. Can you relate to that? How many times do we do stuff like that? Like we've we've reached out and then we saw the guy on the side of the street hop into his Mercedes and take off and we got scammed, right? We were betrayed. But to actually reflect God's love, we need to have a love that's bolstered up against the sense of betrayal shutting us down and turning us crusty and away from the world. So we need a love that is strong even in the face of betrayal. And the third one is to expect our lives to actually change and be different. If we want to have a true lifestyle of compassion, you can't just add compassion to your current lifestyle of high productivity, high success, of gaining wealth and power and security, um, and Freedom 55 retirement plans. Instead, what's actually going to happen is expect to be inconvenienced a lot, right? Uh, The testimony that came out of this book was how the pastor went from being a uh, constant high-driven, high-purpose man who had no space in his schedule constantly, and then he would just see disruptions when people asked or needed help. They were just constant disruptions in his life, and it took a life change of actually expecting inconveniences before he stopped seeing these things as inconveniences, but opportunities to actually love people, opportunities to actually live out God's call into their lives. I love where, again, going back to some of the words of Jesus, Luke 14, uh, he's talking about the banquet and inviting people who can't pay you back because Jesus says, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection and at the end in eternity of righteousness. It's not about the stuff that we can just do here. We're often so focused on our own treasures, but actually living the sense of what Paul had, this eagerness to actually help the poor, takes wanting to just simply worship and reflect God's love As I've rambled on here for a whole bunch, moving this idea from uh, just doing something to actually just being eager to serving God and overcoming the rules that sometimes prevent us from doing those things, I want to just share a real example um, for a local organization happening here in Mission We Thrive Northwest uh, from a member of our church, Kate Pancrats. We have a little video interview of it, so just check that out and see how this actually plays out in our world and can actually play out and go into passion and start to mobilize and see ways you can get involved. So let's check out this video for a sec. Hey everyone, I'm here with Kate Pankratz, founder of We Thrive Foundation, and just wanna share with you a little bit about what this local organization is about. So Kate, what is We Thrive Foundation?
6: Thank you so much, Grant. I'm super happy to be back. Um, so the Weeks Ride Foundation is the mission-specific human trafficking and sexual exploitation awareness, prevention, and response organization. So we work specifically with all demographics of mission and our rural areas. So those would be our local indigenous bands and the outreaching rural communities.
0: Wow. Okay. So that's a mouthful. But I heard a few keywords in there yeah. that I want to focus in on. What? <laughs> What does that look like? What kind of are some stories or things that you are specifically doing right now?
6: Mm. Yeah, the stories, I think that one that um, has really impacted me individually here in Mission was um, just about a year and a half ago, down at Hope Central, which is our Mission soup kitchen, it's run by um, the New Heights Church. Mm. So one of our team members there, he was serving and he said that there was a young lady that was just thrown from a moving vehicle and her head was shaved. Um, she was wearing just her underwear and a tank top and she was nonverbal, She couldn't speak mm. and she was, um, so this young lady was brought in and they were trying to offer her food and ask her her name. She couldn't speak and so um, they chose to phone 911, they called the police and they came and the police were trying to offer help to her, and she she couldn't say her name, she couldn't explain what was going on. Nobody had seen the license plate number, and so she was given a victim services card, and she was told, if you want help, you can call us. And so her specific situation is almost iconic of a Canadian domestic human trafficking situation. And the sad and heartbreaking part of it is there hasn't been um, the education and awareness for our local government, our policing hmm. and community members to really recognize what human trafficking looks like and how to utilize the resources and supports and education that we have available to better support these individuals. Hmm. So um, with what we're doing is we're working with local government to develop policies and to help bring education to RCMP. Um, we work with every demographic of the community. It's a very holistic approach. So it's um, communities and schools. We're looking forward to starting education programs in the public and private schools in September of 2022. Um, so we have the approval of our local superintendent Angus Wilson. is wow. looking forward to that and so we have a lot of projects on the go but it's for young ladies like this. We call her name Sarah but we don't know her actual name. Okay. Um, just for there to be awareness for children, for families, for hmm. community members and all aspects of Government and society. Wow, I know that's a lot. <laughs> that's
0: that's an amazing story, and yeah. I think that I, that in, instantly impacts me and gives me a sense of what's missing in there. I think we have an instinctual response to want to be able to help people, and then how how do we actually do that without the knowledge and understanding of what's going on in the bigger picture? Totally. So thanks for sharing that, Kate. What inspired you to start We Thrive Foundation?
6: So as a young girl, I was sexually exploited. I was never trafficked myself, but um, I was, what they would say, prey to um, a few members of my community that should have been safe people for me. And um, so with that awareness growing up, I was always sensitive to the needs of the fact that there were other people in the community like me, Um, but then a few years ago, as I was working as a community support worker with Communitas Supportive Organization, Um, just became very aware of how common it was like 30 percent of people that we supported had been sexually exploited and that was just in that small community and so it it just raised the awareness for me and then God made it very clear that this was the direction that he was calling us to go in Hmm. and so um, we're just on the cusp of three years of the beginning of all of it Um, and just seeing that A lot of people have felt very comfortable to share their stories with me and realizing that it is so much more a part of our community here in Mission Hmm. than I had realized growing up.
0: This isn't a detached thing that's happening somewhere out on the news channel. This is right in our homes and neighborhoods. Absolutely. So with that then in mind, Kate, how can we as a church, as followers of Jesus, as people who are just checking out this interview here, this video, how can we be involved in or supportive of We Thrive Foundation?
6: So specifically the We Thrive Foundation, we are in a position now where we're very excited to welcome volunteers. Um, so we do have all of the HR in place and um, the insurance and all of those things to be able to safely welcome people to mm. volunteer with us, so we're very excited about that. Um, and we have our first volunteers actually from Cedar Valley Church, Liz Liz Moore is with mm. us. Um, and so in addition to volunteering though, we are looking for financial support, we can We can continue by the grace of god but those finances as we all know running organizations businesses churches takes those resources absolutely yeah um and then in addition to that just being aware being aware as a community recognizing that if there are people around you that look like they're in a vulnerable position to just ask them if they're doing okay and if you see things that yeah we've talked about this before i think in one of our interviews like if you see tattoos on someone's neck that have an Mm. indication of like dollar signs or Hmm. or like a crown or a chain or something like that or if you see children that are very bruised and like being being repeatedly spoken to in Hmm. ways that are demeaning that's that's not cause so much for an alarm but cause for concern and we do have um, a hotline number that we've given to you before you can put it across the bottom of the screen form so you can call you can share what you've seen and they can direct you that if they think that it is a reason for filing a report then you can safely and just um, have no. You can have autonomy. You're, you don't have to give any information that you're not comfortable to give. But then you can start um, giving the process of helping that person find freedom, if maybe that is the case for them. So mm-hmm. they lead and guide you through that. Um, and also just awareness. Social media is so powerful now, right? And um, with the 22nd of February being International mm-hmm. Human yes. Trafficking Awareness and Prevention Day. Uh, There will be a lot of things on social media. There will be a lot of discussion points for at home. And so we just really encourage that you take the conversation from being, listening to something like this and having it maybe be a comfortable conversation at home. Mm -hmm. Um, A conversation even for like families and children. So we do have some directed guides for having those conversations safely and appropriately with your five, year old. Um, So just, Mm. yeah, being aware Praying. Praying is is always the most powerful tool for sure, but conversation is important.
0: Absolutely. And yeah, so uh, February 22nd, Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Yes. And uh, with that too, you mentioned social media, online, just all that kind of information. Can we find you online?
6: Yes. Yes. So our Facebook page, I'm running a lot of hats right now. So our Facebook page, that's a volunteering space that we're hoping to fill is the one that can run social media. but. Um, specifically for February 22nd and the three or four days leading up to we will have a lot of resources Mm -hmm. conversation topics available so you can find us we thrive Northwest on Facebook and Instagram yeah
0: (laughs) absolutely well thank you so much for sharing with us Kate I really hope that we're able to pour into stuff like this that we can live out our calling as followers of Jesus to actually be actively involved uh, caring for those who need support who need hands and feet and often we pray for miracles and a lot of times the miracles are going to come through us and our actions and interventions.
6: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and that is like our our ministry verse is from Luke chapter 4 verse 18 and that talks about where Jesus comes to set the oppressed free. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a powerful reminder that he tells us in Matthew 2 that he's equipped us for this calling and that that was the mission he was sent here for and that we are his hands and feet to do that. And so. We're just very excited and thankful that we've already been able to see some freedom breakthroughs in Mission, and we're looking forward to partnering with churches like Cedar Valley to do that a lot more. So, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: It takes an understanding of a world where we have a loving God who involved himself sacrificially, giving everything for us when he had no obligation to do so and still chooses to love and bless us even when we betray him, when we inconvenience him. I'm sure, can God be inconvenienced? Humanity would find a way. For us to actually have a heart to reach people, to connect with people, to serve people, not out of social obligation, but out of outpouring in a sense of worship by just trying to reflect what God has done for us, we choose and desire to do the same thing. So God, thank you for this message, God. Something as simple as Paul stating his eagerness to serve and remember the poor in his journeys as he's traveling all along, God, it's something that we can learn from to reflect from God as we go through our days and we put up our barriers and our blocks to not see people in front of us, God. We put reasons and excuses to focus on X, Y, Z, and whatever the other thing is. But God, instead, convict us, inspire us, challenge us with What you have done for us, God, put it right in front of our face, impact us, our hearts and our minds with what you have done for us, that we just have a desire to do even the smallest bit of reflecting that into the world around us, God, to reach and bless other people. God, I just pray that you're with everyone here who's joining us here in person, online. Uh, We have a week of just seeing opportunities to reach people, seeing opportunities to love people, seeing opportunities to get involved, God, and, and having our hearts move towards that. Uh, God, I just pray that you bless this time, you bless this message and uh, the weeks as we go from here. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week and go in peace.